Welcome to CryoTalk, a bite-sized bio-podcast sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. Featuring conversations between your host, Ava Amson, and experts in the field of cryo-electron microscopy. Today on CryoTalk, we are joined by Rob Kirschdorfer, Assistant Professor in the Department of Biochemistry and the Institute for Molecular Virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He talks about working on cutting-edge coronavirus research, um, and with lots of international attention on coronaviruses, um, we have had to pivot uh, repeatedly to find areas that we can contribute to the field uh, where I don't have to worry about, you know, a young student being scooped six months into their project. What CryoEM might be able to do in the future? I think CryoEM is well on its way to uh, really looking at more biological structures in situ. And how he wanted to be a scientist ever since he was a kid. I was going to be a marine biologist, mm-hmm. and then I decided I was going to do genetics because I watched Jurassic Park, and darn it, let's let's you know bring <laughs> back the dinosaurs. Um, and then I went to college, and I fell in love with biochemistry. All in this episode of CryoTalk. Hi, and welcome to CryoTalk. I'm Ava Amson, and I'm here today with Robert Kirschdorfer, our first guest of season two. Rob is assistant professor in the Department of Biochemistry and the Institute for Molecular Virology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. His research group has been using cryo-EM to study viral proteins, so we'll hear a bit more about that today. Rob, how are you? I'm great. How are you this afternoon? Good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So we usually ask our guests to start with a little bit of background. So can you tell me a little bit of your career so far? Uh, Yeah, so I did my bachelor's degree here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I got a major in genetics and biochemistry, and I was doing undergraduate research studying protein folding. Um, And for graduate school, I decided I really wanted a higher resolution view of how the world worked. I really wanted to see uh, how proteins interacted with one another. And so I decided that I was going to do structural biology for graduate school. Uh, so I went to the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California, and I did my PhD with Ian Wilson um, with the goal of looking at an influenza polymerase complex with crystallography. Um, we never did solve a structure of, uh, of an influenza polymerase with crystallography, um, but we did learn a lot about other uh, interesting pathogenic systems. Um, we actually wound up collaborating uh, with some really great electron microscopists uh, at Scripps uh, to do electron microscopy of the influenza polymerase. Hmm. Um, from there, I actually stayed at Scripps for my postdoc, or for, for both of my postdocs. I did my first postdoc with Erica Ullman Sapphire doing crystallography of Ebola virus proteins. Um, and then, you know, we, we came across a problem uh, in Ebola virus that we couldn't solve with crystallography. Um, And so I started collaborating with Andrew Ward, uh, who worked across the street, also at Scripps, uh, to learn uh, cryo-electron microscopy to study uh, uh, these Ebola virus proteins, and then kind of transitioned from there into uh, studying uh, coronavirus proteins. So um, I've been at uh, UW now for about uh, three and a half years, starting up my own lab, um, and we've got a a pretty great group growing up. Great. So yeah, you, you you mentioned coronavirus, and I think you started um, in Madison in 2019. Is that right? Yes. So, so where you you were looking at coronaviruses, and suddenly they became very irrelevant. Is that what happened? <laughs> that, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> um, I have I have noticed a reoccurring theme in my career uh, that I tend to work on viruses 
that after I start working on them seem to cause pandemics. Uh, so <laughs> I was I was working on uh, influenza in 2009 uh, before a swine flu hit, and I was working on Ebola virus uh, in 2014 when we had the West African uh, Ebola virus outbreak. So I, I I tend to pick viruses that are very medically relevant um, mm -hmm. and have that impact. Um, I don't ever look for <laughs> an ongoing <laughs> pandemic. Maybe um, if you change your topic, I, let everyone know well ahead I, of time. <laughs> I have been asked by family members to let them know if I ever start working on a new virus yeah. uh, for that for that very reason. So, so how have the last few years been for you working on coronavirus structures? Um, it's really it's been really busy. Um, so it's been really great for the field in terms of the things that we learned, um, the advances that get made. Uh, we have a lot more uh, technologies that are being used to address these problems from from with lots of different approaches. Um, in terms of my lab, this has presented a lot of challenges because my lab is very young and very small. Mm -hmm. um, and with lots of international attention on coronaviruses, um, we have had to pivot uh, repeatedly to find areas that we can contribute to the field uh, where I don't have to worry about, you know, a young student being scooped six months mm. into their project. Um, so we have been uh, kind of adapting that way, but it's it's exciting times. And I think that we're really drawing on a lot of the, the international research that has come out of uh, research on COVID-19. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I guess it has its drawbacks to have everyone else in the world working on the same topic at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned when you started using CryoEM um, and how are you using it at the moment? Is there any specific application that you that you're focusing on? Yeah, we really do single particle cryoelectron microscopy. So um, one of the things that my lab specializes in is is preparing uh, really highly purified protein samples, and we reconstitute our complexes in vitro, um, and then really trying to get at uh, how those complexes interact with one another. Right. So how does this protein talk to that one? Um, and cryoEM has been really great for that because not only can we get the structural information, but we also get, um, or, or rather, get around some of these issues of heterogeneity. Um, and so, with crystallography, you want that that rock solid sample that's going to crystallize. Um, but in cryoEM, you can look at flexible things. You can look at substoichiometric complexes and un slightly unassembled complexes. Um, and so, it's really uh, amenable for us uh, looking at some of these more dynamic machines. And, and what makes it so useful for um, viral proteins? I know you mentioned earlier that it's kind of like the resolution and the detail. Yeah. Um, so what I love about any structural biology uh, is really being able to see one protein interact with another. Um, for, for me, the, the best part of structural biology is when you get that first map uh, and you can now see uh, your protein in the map. You can actually see, oh, this amino acid contacts that amino acid. Um, you know, I, I love looking at RNA um, mm -hmm. in electron density. I think that it's beautiful. Um, so, so yes, I, I think that we can we can use cryoelectron microscopy for you know a really a, a lot of things with with viral proteins. But I think it's a much broader technique uh, for really looking at any sort of purified biological sample that we we want to look at. And of course, the the field is expanding, so maybe we don't always need to purify uh, as well as we used to. And um, you were working on on Ebola before. Is there? Are you planning on going back to that? Like, has it all just been coronavirus these last few years? Because that's what everyone needed to know about at the moment. Or? Yeah. Um, so the the plan plans always change. Uh, the plan when I when I started up my lab was to go coronas um, and stick with coronas to to kind of maintain a lab focus. 
Um, we do look to kind of expand to some other viruses, but I think we'll, we'll probably stay uh, in the, the positive sense RNA viruses. So this is going to be um, other, other viruses that have similar genome architectures uh, to coronas. Um, and part of that is is just to make sure that we, you know, keep some common themes in lab and, and kind of have a more cohesive scientific environment. So so what are some other viruses that um, would fall in that category? Uh, well, so we usually think of coronaviruses as, you know, we talk about the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> um, but coronaviruses are actually a very large family of viruses. And so uh, one of the themes in our lab is to really look more broadly across the coronavirus family um, at different species of coronas to kind of get a sense of what is conserved, what are the general themes uh, that evolution has maintained across this, this broader family. Um, we're also working with a, a number of groups. Uh, we're, we're part of a, a consortium. Uh, this has been funded by uh, NIH to identify antiviral drugs. Um, and so this is a consortium being run uh, out of UNC Chapel Hill with Ralph Barrick uh, to look at a number of positive and negative sense RNA viruses um, and in particular, trying to figure out how particular um, small molecule drugs uh, can, can impact the activity of, of viral polymerases. Um, and so that's another way that we've kind of expanded our, our repertoire of viruses. Yeah, and I guess anything you learn about one virus that also tells you a bit more about a related virus as well. It does. I, I think that that's a major power of structural biology and biochemistry is being able to draw parallels and, and even contrasts. Um, one for solving problems, you know, I, I have this trick that worked for this protein, I can probably apply it again for this <laughs> other protein, uh, but then also for biological themes as well, uh, in terms of mechanism and interaction. And just going back quickly to, to cryo-EM, um, is there anything, what, where do you see cryo-EM going in the future? What do you hope it will be able to do? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think cryo-EM is well on its way to uh, really looking at more biological structures in situ, um, you know, really looking at more cellular structures at higher resolution with with better annotation, with higher, uh, with uh, more uh, sorting of, of the available heterogeneity. Um, you know, right now, I think this is mostly limited to relatively large complexes like ribosomes, um, but I would love to see that applied to smaller and smaller protein complexes. Um, there are, there's going to be need to be some technical advancements for that, but I I really think that we're we're on our way uh, to, to getting there. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting to just see see everything in situ. So the, changing tactics a little bit, let's talk about not work. What do you do when you're not in the lab and not looking at protein structures? Ooh, um, I, 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 I'm a gym rat. I go to the gym. Uh, I like to swim is, is one of my sports. Um, otherwise I really just like to spend time outdoors and that could be walking through the woods, um, or sitting on a boat. Um, just that kind of quiet outdoor time, uh, is mm. really what I, I look forward to. Have you had a chance to go outdoors a lot lately? I mean, I guess uh, it's winter now. But. Yeah, it's, it's winter in Wisconsin, and it's really cold. Um, <laughs> uh, winter's winter's not my season. I, I look forward to spring, uh, spring and fall. Uh, so I still go on walks uh, pretty regularly, but you you kind of bundled up, and there's not a lot of you know wildlife to look at this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I've got a, a a few quick fire questions, so you could just answer them really quickly. Um. The first one: Do you enjoy traveling? 
I am I am not a, a big traveler. I am a bit of a homebody. Uh, traveling kind of stresses me out, but I love being other places. Uh, so I guess I, I have a mixed feelings about traveling. <laughs> the process and the destination are not the same. Yeah. Do you have any favorite places where you've been? Ooh, um, I, I I love San Diego, uh, which is where I did my my PhD work. I've not been back uh, since I left when I was mm. doing my postdoc because of, of COVID and I would love to go back and hang out. Yeah. Um, I think that San Diego has some of the nice microbreweries uh, in the country. <laughs> That's a reason to go back. <laughs> it's a great reason to go back. <laughs> do you enjoy cooking? I do. Uh, I don't get to cook every night. So uh, most of my cooking projects are kind of weekend cooking projects mm. um, and they tend to be a bit uh, bigger. So it's it's like food prep for the week. Um, but uh, recently I've been uh, making my own pasta and I also make my own yogurt. Nice. Yeah. I was going to ask if you had any recommendations, but pasta sounds interesting. <laughs> what about reading? Do you like to read? I do like to read. Um, so I obviously read a lot at work, uh, yeah. which is all nonfiction. Uh, <laughs> but when I get home, I really like to read fiction and uh, especially uh, fantasy. Um, and so one book that I read uh, this past year uh, is it's called A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking, um, <laughs> which is a slightly uh, humorous touch of magic kind of uh, kind of story. And I it's it's lighter reading, but I really enjoyed it. It sounds fun from the title alone. <laughs> <laughs> I might read that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what about the the big and small screen? Do you like film or TV? Um, I generally do. Uh, I've not been to a lot of movies in the last couple of years. Um, and I, all of my TV is now switched to streaming services. So, um, you know, I, I kind of cruise Netflix to see what's new and what's interesting. Um, right now I'm working my way through Netflix uh, Wednesday, um, which oh, is yeah. kind of dark and fun, but also kind of creepy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I finished watching that uh, not too long ago. That was fun. <laughs> Um, and do you listen to music? I do. Uh, I like a lot of different types of music. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of kind of the indie rock, uh, the Modest Mouse, Cage the Elephant uh, sort of things. But then I mix in uh, uh, like dance music uh, from Lady Gaga and Kesha, <laughs> things like that. Never, and, and then I'll turn it around and I'll put on some instrumental folk music for for a change. So uh, it, it all kind of depends on on what mood I'm in. So is there is there music playing in your lab or does everyone just have their own headphones on? <laughs> uh, they all wear headphones uh, because I, I don't let them play music in lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think when when back in the day when I was in the lab, we used to have the radio on and kind of discuss what we were listening to while working. But it was a bit distracting sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a question I love to ask people. If you weren't a scientist, what would you be? Oh, um, you know, I've wanted to be a scientist for such a long time that uh, I'm, I'm going to struggle to answer that. Um, I, I think I would I would need to be in a career that I would be helping people. Um, and so that that could be something like a teacher, um, but it also could be something like a doctor, um, just because that's that's where I get my my fulfillment from work. Um, is that even, you know, as a researcher, I'm doing making incremental advances that could someday help someone. Um, but I still feel like I need, need to contribute like that. Yeah. I feel like teacher and doctor are kind of like science adjacent careers. They are science adjacent. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's fun. So you, you knew even when you were a kid that you wanted to be something related to science one day? <laughs> yeah, I, I went through a number of different uh, scientific paths as like a fourth grader. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was going to be, I was going to be a marine biologist. And mm -hmm. then I decided I was going to do genetics because I watched Jurassic Park and darn it, yes. let's, let's, you know, bring <laughs> back the dinosaurs. Um, and then I went to college and I fell in love with biochemistry. So it's, it's kind of, wandered a bit um mm -hmm. but it's it's always kind of been figuring out how the natural world works and what we can what we can really do with it yeah yeah I also ended up in biochemistry eventually when I didn't really know that it existed until I started in undergrad because you don't really in high school it's just this is chemistry this is biology nobody tells you that there's an in-between <laughs> it's like oh I can do both it's um yeah so and the other question I really love to hear the answer to is if you have any advice for researchers who are just starting out their career. Uh, I have tons of advice. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the thing, yeah, so, so the thing I always try to tell students when they're making choices about what lab they're going to join and, and how they're going to do their PhDs um, is to find something that they're really passionate about mm -hmm. and just be really bold. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of apprehension, like, oh, can I make it in this field? Can I, can I get that next big experiment to work? Um, and I, I think that if you really just have something you're excited about and that you can bring, uh, your passion, your resilience to, uh, that as, as long as you are willing to take that step, uh, and actually try, uh, mm -hmm. that the rest all kind of falls into place. And so, you know, everybody wants a, a five-year plan and a 10-year plan about what they're going to do with their lives. Um, and inevitably all of those plans change, but I think that as long as you're pursuing something you're excited about and you are willing to take those leaps and really chase those dreams, uh, that even if you don't wind up with the dream you thought you were going to have, you're still going to wind up pretty happy. So <laughs> that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think students are also a little bit scared about, you know, if they take a big risk, what if it doesn't work and I don't get results and I can't write my thesis, but you can graduate with negative results. I think people just don't quite realize that. <laughs> you absolutely can. And I mean, if, if you're doing science, uh, if you're if you're testing hypotheses, um, then it's it's quite possible your hypothesis was wrong, but that's data too. Yeah. Um, so so I mean, I wouldn't discard negative data because yeah. it's negative, you know, you, you showed something, you proved something. Absolutely. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, so <laughs> thank you very much, Rob. And thanks everyone else for listening to or watching CryoTalk today. Thank you for listening to CryoTalk, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Thermo Fisher Scientific. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash CryoTalk.